This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. You know, it's interesting to me when you, again, have people that may come uh, regularly to, to church, okay? They, they, they come on a regular basis to church, but you look at their lives and there's no obedience in their lives. There's no repentance in their lives. There's no faith in their lives. And there's no communion in their lives. I don't need to judge them as to whether they're born again or not. Their lives judge them. As we continue through our series in the Minor Prophets, we come to the book of Zephaniah. The Minor Prophets are a collection of small but very powerful prophetic books in the Old Testament. There are 12 different authors with varying backgrounds. Some were in a lineage of prophets, others were just fruit pickers and shepherds. Zephaniah was royalty. But what is truly amazing is that it didn't matter where these men came from. God used them all, and he wants to use you, too. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Zephaniah, chapter 2, verse 1, for today's study. God is working, even right now, in the weirdness and the strangeness and the wickedness and the unrighteousness and the uh, rebellion of, and all the other words that I could use of the heart of man to reconcile man to himself. The problem is, is not everybody's going to turn to him. We understand that. Again, God not wishing, though, the word says, but God not wishing that any would perish, he still sends the message of the gospel out in order that whosoever will, will call upon the name of the Lord. So the message is there, the declaration is there, the arm, the love, the compassion, the, the, the desire of God to reconcile man to himself is there. The, the blood of Jesus Christ that again is sufficient enough to pay for the sin of the world, past, present, future, the sin nature, all of that, God has done completely through the sacrifice of Christ in order that by faith, when we come to Christ, we can then have our sin not only covered, but atoned for, paid for completely, completely done away with. Our sin is no longer at that point in time. And Throughout the word, we have these little, the, the phrases that we read throughout the word that God has literally thrown our sin behind his back, or God has cast our sin into the deepest of the ocean, or God has separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, you need to understand that even in those little allegories or those, those, those phrases, God throwing the sin, he's, he's not going to turn around and go get them, Okay. He's not going to go into the deepest of the ocean and, and drag them back. Now, you and I, when we have a problem with each other and say, you sin against me, and okay, we make up and everything's forgiven. But you know what? A lot of times we kind of remember that in the back of our head, don't you? Well, I do too. So uh, we, we do that. We kind of remember those things. But not with God. The Word says that once the blood of Christ which cleanses us from all unrighteousness has become, uh, and a big long theological word, efficacious in our life. It's become wholly and completely effective in our lives. Once that takes place, 
than our sin before him. Guess what? You and I, and I know some of you, and so this, is a, this ought to be absolutely amazing to you. <laughs> you and I stand before the Lord righteous. Amen? Does that, does that blow you away that, that in reality of who we are, what we know about each other, God knows the whole truth about us, and he sent Christ in order to cleanse us of sin, in order that, again, we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Now, I give you this word because... That is the good news amongst the bad news, okay? Turn to Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 2. And again, I'm, I'm going to back up to the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, and again, Zephaniah, we, we read in the opening uh, verses of this, that, that Zephaniah's background, though some of the prophets, we don't have a whole lot on their background. Amos said, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shepherd, I'm a fig picker, I'm not a prophet, I'm not even the son of a prophet. We get a guy like Obadiah, we don't know where Obadiah came from, what his background was. He just, again, the Lord lays a message on. Well, for Zephaniah, we have kind of his background, and it seems as though there is some royal blood uh, in Zephaniah. He's the son of Hezekiah. Uh, now, you need to understand, in biblical language, he could have been the great, 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 great grandson. He is a descendant of Hezekiah. Well, I don't believe it's that far down the line, but he could have been like the grandson of Hezekiah, or the great-grandson of Hezekiah. Now, so he has this, but yet at the same time, but before I go into so he has a royal bloodline. Amos was a fig picker and a shepherd. Obadiah we don't know of. We see different people that God uses in different ways. Back when we were going through and Jonah. Jonah, you think, well, Jonah, we don't know a whole lot about Jonah other than God called him. And, and Jonah just jumped up in absolute obedience and obeyed. He immediately went, no, we know that's not true. Jonah ran completely the opposite direction as far and as fast as he could. That's the amazing thing about God. Not only will he take us where we're at, and save us to the uttermost. But he will use any of us. And that's amazing to me. That, that again, he's, he's allowed me and, and all the failures and all the disappointments in, in, in my life, and yet he still allows me to, to do this. And we could go through, you know, again, history of, of, of uh, pastors, preachers, youth leaders, teachers, uh, ministry leaders, and say, the, the, very few of them has a sparkling clean inventory of the past. You know, again, it is the work of God within the people that, again, it's not the vessel, but it's the treasure that that vessel carries. That's the important thing. So rather Zephaniah was of royal lineage, or rather he was just an ordinary guy, that really doesn't matter. He's carrying this message of the Lord to the people at this time. So, Again, we, we in, in chapter one. Again, he's primarily he primarily spoke uh, to the people of Judah, and again explaining to them, look, you know, discipline is coming. The the judgment of God is coming on you guys because I've warned you and I've warned you and I've warned you, and you haven't listened. My judgment is going to come. Now, if that's all we knew, if that's all we knew about God, then God would seem to us to be the, the big uh, heavy in the sky 
with, with the big stick that every time we stepped on a line, whack, you know, that's, and the unfortunate thing is many people are raised in, in their life thinking that is who God is, that, again, it's, it's not the loving Father that cares about me so much, he doesn't want me to, to walk in wickedness because he knows the consequences of those kinds of choices in my life. He wants me to walk in a way that honors him because he also knows the consequences of that kind of life. And I've shared with you before that obedience has its own reward. Obedience just has its own reward. When we walk in obedience, there's things in our life, it doesn't mean that the enemy's not going to attack us. It doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. As a matter of fact, I can almost guarantee you, if you desire to walk in obedience to the Lord, the Word says that you're going to see a lot of tribulations. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. You know, I've overcome the world, so we still walk in obedience. So, having said about all this stuff, that uh, the judgment of God coming in chapter 1, then he gives kind of this encouragement to Judah in chapter 2. He says, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together. And he says, come on, you know, come together. And then he says, oh, undesirable nation. And, he, and he's talking about Judah. He's talking about his kids. He's talking about the, the nation that he <laughs> formed. And it's really interesting when you look at that word in my New King James Version, it says the undesirable nation. The, the shameless actually is, is probably the best understanding. What it means is they no longer understand shame. They no longer understand shame. Uh, you can see little dogs, you know, when a dog does something someplace in the house that, you know, he knows that he, that he shouldn't do. Usually that dog just kind of walks around with his head, eyes down, and his tail tucked, and he's kind of, because he knows he did the wrong thing. We, even, even as, 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 as humans, you know, we know right and wrong in most cases until our hearts have gotten so hard toward the wrong that no longer are we shamed by anything, no longer are we embarrassed by anything. The word actually kind of has this idea of, of being white in color. In other words, there's no, there's no red face, there's no, there's no blushing, in other words. They become a people who no longer blush because they just, whatever comes about. They live their life with all this other stuff, and nothing shames them, nothing causes them to blush. And this is what God is saying the people of Judah have become. So he says, so, you undesirable nation. And he says, before this decree is issued, and remember we talked about that, he said, judgment's coming, but you still have a chance. As long as you're breathing, you still have a chance. Right now I'm giving you that chance. Before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. Again, God, again, in, in a threefold effort there, before this happens, before this happens, before this happens, turn, repent, come back to me. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And I talked about last week that I believe that that's just a little pocket thing of speaking literally of the rapture of the church because God is going to pour out his wrath on this world and we are not appointed to wrath 
and God is going to hide. It's not unlike God hid even uh, Noah and his family in the ark when God poured out his wrath there. So it may be that you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Let's move on. He says in verse 4, he starts talking about now the, the nations, kind of a national judgment all around them. He says, For Gaza shall be forsaken and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Carathites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. Now, who he's speaking here to is those that dwell along the coastline, the ones that, again, are the Philistines in that area. The Philistines, literally and truly, should have been driven out years and years ago when, when the people of Israel came into that land, and God says, drive these people out. They didn't do a complete and a thorough job. And so all of the history of the nation of Israel, they've had this battle with the Philistines. Remember, David and the Philistines and the giant and the Philistines have always been a problem. Well, God now is going to bring this judgment against them. All of these coastal regions, and this is what he says is going to happen to these beautiful, again, the coastal area of Israel is absolutely beautiful, just gorgeous, just a lovely place to be. And these, the Philistines, for the most part, they inhabited all of that area. And he says, this is what's going to happen. Verse 6, the seacoast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon, they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. What he's saying is for the righteous of Israel or of Judah, they're going to possess all of that land. Um, and, I, and I, again, I believe that it's, it's the Lord's handwork. It's, it's going to be the, the work of the Lord that brings that about, that drives everyone out. It becomes then a dwelling place for the remnant of Judah. And now he's talked about the coastlands. Now he's going to jump all the way to the east, to the eastern side of the Jordan. In verse uh, 8, he talks, begins talking about Moab and Ammon. He says, I've heard the reproach of Moab. And if you remember, uh, it was from Moab that uh, Balak, the king uh, of, of Moab, tried to get uh, uh, Balaam, the prophet, to prophesy against Israel as they were coming from uh, Egypt and coming into the promised land. And Balak hired Balaam, and he says, hey, I want you to go out and, and do a negative prophecy you know, against these guys. And Balaam says, hey, I tried, but God won't let me. Uh, so God knew the heart of the people of Moab and Ammon the same way. He says, or the insults of the people of Ammon, with which they have reproached my people. And they've made arrogant threats against their borders. Now, when he says arrogant threats, that doesn't mean that he just comes up and stands on the border and yells things at them. No, that they've been very bold in trying to, again, squeeze in the borders of Judah. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of watch the news and I read the papers. That's kind of still happening, isn't it? Yeah. Still, they're trying to push Israel into a smaller, smaller, smaller. In the political scene, they say, well, you know, if you just give us a little bit more land, then there'll be peace. 
And so Israel gives them a little shot. Okay, you're going to have Gaza back. It's kind of nasty now anyway. You're going to have it back. And then, but that's not peace because now they, they brought, brought in, you know, rocket, you know, shoulder mounted uh, rockets uh, in Gaza and they can launch them right into uh, Israel all the time. And so continually pushing against the borders of Israel. Israel would not be able to give away enough land to get peace there. The only way that as far as the, the, the Arab nations that are against them are concerned is once Israel goes into the Mediterranean Sea, then we'll have peace. But again, that's let's move back to here. Yeah. They, they made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, verse 9, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah. Now, that's not a good sign, okay? When he says, you're going to be like Sodom, you're going to be like Gomorrah. Because what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They were absolutely, totally, and completely destroyed, wiped out, just ashes. As a matter of fact, archaeologists have a hard time even finding any of the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah to this day. And that's why a lot of people are like, oh, that's just a, that's just a story. But yet they keep finding these little things, little things here and there that, again, speak and show that it's still there. He says it's going to be an area overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. Uh, how long is perpetual? Forever. Forever. I mean, it just keeps on going, keeps on going. Perpetual desolation. The residue of my people, in other words, a remnant of my people shall plunder them. And the remnant of my people shall possess them. And that word possess is actually the same word that we would get enslave them okay so in other words god's people are going to be totally in charge and totally over that area verse 10 this they shall have for their pride because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the lord of hosts the lord will be awesome to them and he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth People will worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nation. So God says, you, you've come as a reproach against my people. My discipline is going to come upon you. And you need to understand that I am the Lord God Almighty. I am the sovereign one. And people are going to, again, worship me. And what does the word say? That there will come a day, there will come a time that even the enemies of Christ the word says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Aren't you glad, and hopefully this is the case in all of y'all's life, that's Southern for all of you, uh, in all of y'all's life, that right now you can bow the knee and say Jesus is Lord. We can say Jesus is Lord now in a great way, and we can, again, reap the benefits of that versus, again, at the very end, when he stands as judge, and they will then even have to, again, uh, <clears throat> declare the reality that he is the Lord. Now, from the coastline, skipping over to the other side of the Jordan, now he drops down to, uh, um, uh, to, to the south. To, it says to you Ethiopians, and really, we, we understand that that's better understood to be kind of the northern region of the Sudan, not the Ethiopia that we know of today that's on the map in that's kind of on the north and to the uh, west of Egypt, but uh, it would be more the northern region of the Sudan is what Ethiopia was at that time. He says, you Ethiopians also, you 
shall be slain by my sword. And he says, and he will stretch out his hand against the north. So he's gone down to the, he went to the west, he went to the east, he went to the south. Now he's going to stretch his hand against the north. Destroy Assyria. Make Nineveh the capital of Assyria. A desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the veteran, shall lodge on the capitals of her pillars. In essence, what he's saying is, you're going to become like a ghost town. You great cities of, uh, again, the, of, of the Assyrians, you're going to become like ghost towns. And these wild animals are just going to lodge and, and wander around free within all of your structures, your great buildings. He says, their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold. For he, speaking of God, he will lay bare the cedar work. Now, again, that idea of the cedar work and laying bare the cedar work, you can look at it a couple of uh, ways. Either taking the cedars and then they would coat them with uh, 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 like gold to be decorations and God's going to strip that down, or finally ornate and carved cedar that God's just going to wipe it out and destroy it. So all of the work of man's hands, God says, it's, not, it's going to become of nothing. It's going to become of nothing. He says in verse 15, this is the rejoicing city. These are the guys that dwelt securely. They were the ones that said in their hearts, hey, I am it. Look at me. I am it. There's none beside me. Because again, these were the Assyrians. Great, mighty, and powerful. God says, you're not all that, by the way. And so he's going to take care of them. He says, how has she become a desolation? A place for beasts to lie down. Everyone who passes by her. Well, this has to be kind of like a, a Middle Eastern thing. Shall hiss and shake his fist you know, as you walk by. Again, just the desolation. Ah, good, God got you. I don't, I don't know if that's the idea. Or not. I, I kind of think it is, but uh, it's, it's the idea of, again, everybody that passes by will just see no longer are they fearful of Assyria. No longer are they uh, amazed by the beauty of this, their great structure. Now it's just absolute desolation. So now God has gone to the west. God has gone to the east to the south, to the north. And now he's coming in to a bullseye. Now he's going to speak to Jerusalem himself and to the people of Judah. So in chapter 3, Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. And then he lists these four things as he speaks about Jerusalem. She has not obeyed his voice. They've not walked in obedience. She has not received correction. There's been no repentance in her life. She has not trusted in the Lord. There's been no faith exercised in their life. She has not drawn near to her God. There's been no communion with the Lord. No fellowship at all. And when we look at this with no obedience, no repentance, no faith, and no communion, they don't know the Lord. You know, it's interesting to me when you, again, have people that may come uh, regularly to, to church, okay, 
They, they, they come on a regular basis to church. But you look at their lives and there's no obedience in their lives. There's no repentance in their lives. There's no faith in their lives. And there's no communion in their lives. I don't need to judge them as to whether they're born again or not. Their lives judge them. Their lives are a clear demonstration. I don't think they're born again. Now, I'm not the judge of man in those areas of salvation. But when somebody's life is demonstrated with no obedience, no repentance, no faith, and no relationship, growing relationship with the Lord, then I can pretty well sum up, I don't think they're saved. In these perilous times that we live in, how can we know for sure what is to come? The 12 Minor Prophets highlight many future events that will bolster our faith as we study them. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to the Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com. Click on the podcast option on the homepage or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard the open word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.